0: This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families.
1: The coronavirus pandemic could be the event with the greatest impact to the planet for arguably the past 70 years. With all the events that made up the story of a tumultuous 2020, the way our day-to-day lives changed because of the pandemic, that's the lead. It caused us to question. Question our methods, question our leaders, question ourselves. From this, we've adapted to new ways of working, interacting, and sharing information. And of course, child welfare was no different. Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast. I'm Tom Oates and happy you are here with us. We are continuing uh, and really wrapping up our series on what did child welfare learn from 2020. Now check out our other episodes in this series that explored how caseworkers worked to manage their own energy against the elevated levels of anxiety and stress. And the movement to remake child welfare into an anti-racist, equitable, and more just system. Now, this episode dives into the changes the field has taken and is taking to not only support but participate in our community's public health. The pandemic made us think about our own health and safety and that of the children and families involved in the child welfare system. But along with that, the general shift toward prevention and supporting families is bringing child welfare together with other social service disciplines. And all of this is to work upstream in a public health approach. Now, 2020 saw the field, and sometimes out of necessity, adopt new tools and practices and expand its partnerships to increase information sharing and learning and to help navigate and adapt to our new environment. Now, to talk about this intersection of child welfare and public health, we talked with Dr. Kathy Wells, the executive director of the Kemp Center for the Prevention and Treatment of Child Abuse and Neglect. And yes, she's a doctor. She's a practicing pediatrician. So, we discuss how the child welfare field initially reacted to the pandemic, the connections being developed to bring multiple disciplines to the table or virtual table in today's environment, and the shift in being public about mistakes and how that leads to greater improvements in service delivery, and the value of approaching child welfare as a teammate with other human services to improve the well being and social determinants of health for our communities. Now, I doubt there's many people who would want to experience 2020 all over again, but there were some things the previous year taught us and forced us to implement that we can take away as actual improvements. Okay, reviewing what child welfare learned from 2020 with an eye towards service delivery as an element of public health with Dr. Kathy Wells here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. <laughs> Dr. Kathy Wells, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. It's truly a
0: pleasure. I appreciate it.
1: And I think this is really unique in terms of looking back in 2020, uh, in terms of what did the field learn and approaching child welfare in terms of a public health approach. I'm really, really glad that we have you on specifically uh, because. As we take a look from the child welfare lens, yes, you come to us as executive director of the Kemp Center for the Prevention and Treatment of Child Abuse and Neglect, But let's also not forget that you were also the Section Head for Child Abuse and the Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. And so you have this connection also with Children's Hospital of Colorado. So this wonderful intersection in looking at how the field has reacted to 2020, but the shift toward public health. And so let me start by kind of going back to, I guess, when we talk about 2020, where it all began. And so when the pandemic first hit and states and, and locations were f- implementing the, the shutdown or the stay-at-home orders, what did you see when we look back at how the child welfare field initially reacted to those stay-at-home orders?
2: Yeah. You know, it was, uh, what, what I saw is a lot of great conversations and reaching out and recognizing that Um, In in many ways, I guess, being in a pandemic, uh, I think probably the first one any of us have ever been in, um, it means there's no great easy answers. And so I really one of the things that I saw was pretty quickly people were reaching out to one another in innovative ways. Um, In Colorado, the director of child welfare started hosting these town halls uh, for anybody within the child welfare system that wanted to participate at any level right supervisor all the way down to frontline staff and we we began to have conversations that spanned healthcare and the courts and child welfare and placement agencies and folks that were really having to tackle difficult questions not just about the daily work but uh and, and how families and kids were affected but also how that affected the workforce and um you know so so i think really how do we as a healthcare system try to bring at least the information we were getting we were daily briefed and sometimes multiple times a day as as a healthcare person right trying to figure out how we made sure our healthcare settings were responding the right way but then we had opportunities to have those pretty immediate conversations with child welfare and courts and other systems that were trying to make really important decisions for kids and families during this difficult time as well
1: When you think back to all of those questions that kind of, you know, flooded out from every part of the system and the systems that are connected to the systems, what do you recall as as maybe those main unanswered questions that really folks were struggling with?
2: Yeah, Um, I think uh, one was safety, right? So worker safety and working differently, right? So What does that look like when a worker is not able to assess a child or a family in the same way, right? Not in person, maybe virtually. Um, And and what does it mean for that worker um, going home to their own family and what risks might they be bringing home and what stresses, uh, you know, I have such tremendous respect for my child welfare colleagues, the, you know, how hard the work is anyway. And then having to try to do it almost with one or two hands tied behind your back just seemed really limiting. Um, There were a lot of questions around, you know, decreased calls to the hotlines, right? So fewer reports. And what did that mean? And, you know, I think we still don't fully understand, but there was a lot of, you know, conversations that spanned, oh, my goodness, these children are uh, in homes where maybe they're not safe and nobody sees them. They're not being seen by the traditional mandatory reporters, all the way to, well, maybe families... Are doing better than than we would have expected, or maybe things get reported that maybe are more along the lines of a family that doesn't have resources, poverty that maybe really shouldn't rise to the level of, of child welfare. Um, so those were, you know, some of the some of the questions that were coming up. I think the other one was a lot of questions around uh, placement, visitation. Um, and so, both, both professional visitation and professional interactions, in terms of assessing child safety, or but also, you know, courts and caseworkers were having to make decisions about being able to have contact with family members. Um, and when we put children in places, whether it's a residential treatment location, you know, setting, or whether it's a foster or a kin setting, how do we know the placement is safe? Um, and so, there are a lot of questions about just the actual work about placement and safety and, and where kids are if they're not in a, in a, in a safe place uh, and then just personal um safety of workers um so just you know this whole new level of fear and I think difficulty for the work being done every day going home to their own families and am i bringing something home
1: despite the fear and and despite the additional constraints however the work still had to go the you know the, the the work must go on right um, and yet we're also dealing with a field that, many times is dealing with limited resources. So folks are forced to be resourceful. So in that resourceful uh, theme, where did you see, at least from your vantage point, the actions that agencies were taking to kind of work around all those constraints and still try to try to connect with families as best they could?
2: Yeah, creative things around uh, you know getting uh, families access to the internet that wouldn't have access so they could al- now actually participate in a court hearing um, kids so they could participate in things like school obviously has been an issue, but also other things, you know, we, uh, you know, because I was in these daily briefings at the hospital level, you know, we heard about things like getting access to testing. We began to ask questions, well, what about a child that needs to go into an out-of-home placement, um, for a host of reasons? Maybe their parents are both ill and not able to care for them or their, their single parent. Maybe there is a safety concern. Maybe there's been a violent incident at home. And how do we know that child is not bringing something to a placement, right? So placements became concern. And, you know, we we just sort of assembled the right people and started to ask the questions. And when we brought these questions to the medical community, they said, well, yeah, we ought to find a way to test them, you know, the child, or maybe even caseworkers in certain circumstances, like we would our healthcare professionals, because they're having to perform uh, duties that in many ways are very similar to what healthcare workers are doing. So you know, I think really it shown it, it shined a light on uh caseworkers as being really essential workers and having to to do it with limited, like you said, limited resources and where can we really leverage those partnerships to get them access to whatever we possibly could, like testing, like safety, uh personal protective equipment. That was another thing that was talked about a lot was not having access to PPE and you know, what were, you know, we were, we had access to some of the best infectious disease specialists in our field. And so tapping their brains around what, what should we be um, recommending for, for uh, department human services agencies uh, for their caseworkers in terms of what they should be donning and and not donning, right. As we say in the medical parlance, you know, masking uh, clothing, you know, what, what makes sense given their contacts so that they could feel as safe as possible based on the, the information really
1: churning out daily. And with all of that, then there was the, the idea of, you know, you're still trying to create contact. How do you do it safely? Um, and so if there, was, if there was one theme that we saw across, and not only child welfare, I mean, as you're talking about the daily briefings, I'm not sure many of them were done in, in a single room around one table. We were talking as you and I are talking from about 2,000 miles away. We we're looking at each other through a computer screen. And you mentioned the idea of uh, getting access to the internet, getting access to to remote meetings for courts or for for visits. Um, and so we're finding ourselves now in this in this world of connecting remotely, right? And so that looks like something that as much as it was a theme and seen and and embraced across 2020, we're still gonna be looking at that as a tool as we move forward. So I'd like your take both from from really the, the, the healthcare and the caseworker care kind of perspective on this idea of connecting remotely. And and there've gotta be pros and there've gotta be cons, not only for the staff, but also for the families involved as well. I I know it's a big topic because now everything quote unquote is remote, but in terms of administering services and, and the health involved, give me a sense of the pros and cons when you think about, okay, service delivery remotely in child welfare.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna speak first to the the professional benefit in terms of we were able to assemble people and connect people that might have not been able to connect in the same way. And I mean, by that, I might be able to call our infectious disease specialist and have them jump on a quick meeting with uh, the child welfare director or someone like that. So there was some interesting twists that way, right? It might've been harder to get those folks together. Uh, But in terms of service delivery, uh, you, you know, you're right. I mean, there there are some aspects both in the healthcare world and in child welfare world where there are advantages, right? So we could see kids, uh, you know, we could provide a telehealth visit. Children's Hospital Colorado did just this incredible job of ramping up telehealth very quickly. And so there were able to be uh, health visits in a safe way and seeing kids. Same thing with child welfare or court uh, hearings or visitations that you could actually... Um, access people maybe a little bit, as long as they had access to the internet, a little bit easier than if they had to hop three buses um, and try to get into a hearing or uh, meet with the caseworker. So there were definitely, you know, and I think some of that we, you know, may take with us, right. Uh, the advantages of connecting that way, the advantages of uh, following up on a patient when we don't necessarily, my my first visit with my new primary care provider was virtual. Um, and you know, it, it afforded me an opportunity to see my doctor, even though we were we were in a lockdown. On the flip side, of course, is the inability to see uh, not only just relationship, right? Um, uh, I think we can connect in ways that we haven't before, but it's always better when there was a relationship first, right? So trust, relationship, and then what you can see, right? So uh, I'm, you know, we see each other in in a box, in a square box, and. Uh, We even have fancy things like virtual backgrounds that can hide things behind us. Um, And yet, that's only a very small lens of what's going on in that world. And, uh, you know, I've had even educators uh, and and other health professionals tell me of things that they've seen, even talking about their own kids uh, in classrooms, things they've seen in the background that was very telling as to what their environment was, and they would have never realize that, of course, for caseworkers that are often going into the home and experiencing that different than a teacher, different than a doctor would, um, it also limits their ability to see what that environment looks like. And I think that creates a lot of angst for those providers, knowing that they're limited in that way. Um, So there's definitely, you know, uh, two sides to that um, in terms of being able to access and being able to maybe connect with someone quicker without having the um, challenges they might face in terms of transportation, but the downside of of limited in what you can see, and experience, and smell, and hear um, about what's going on in that world.
1: Yeah, I've I've used the term window shopping a lot, and and I can I can see more, but uh, I'm again I'm only limited to to almost a two dimensional uh, interaction uh, with folks, and and it's it's it does it it provides more options, but. Even within those options, you are, and to, to, to kind of twist the phrase a little bit, you're, you're stuck in a box, right, in terms of, of what you have. And I think that's a big kind of struggle point to where child welfare, once you can really get to a point where I can interact with people face to face, that potential meetings can still go through. Let's say you mentioned a, a court hearing. Uh, well, now somebody doesn't have to take a full day off from work, and they don't have to worry about parking or the weather if they're traveling. And so you've got those options. Yet, if I need to see the environment, I may still have to you know, go back to, quote, unquote, the way, the way things were. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit because, as I mentioned at, at the beginning, uh, your unique crossroads— in terms of uh, being a pediatrician, and yet this deep involvement in in child welfare. And I touched a a little bit on kind of just a few bullet points on your deep resume. But I'd love for you to give us a sense and take a step back and walk me through your background and and how this connection between child welfare and healthcare came to be. How did did Dr. Wells end up in, in this crossroads here?
2: Yeah. You know, I'd say two large things. One is uh, when I was a young general pediatrician in a small community, um, I encountered women uh, that were struggling with substance use disorder, particularly methamphetamine use, and they had new babies and uh, learned pretty quickly the complexity of such situations and Um, felt very strongly that we we address these settings much better when we worked collaboratively as multiple disciplines. And so as a healthcare practitioner, starting to think about what what might be the kinds of things that we could think about, not just for the baby that I was seeing and what was needing to happen in terms of a child welfare response, um, safety, um, you know, permanency, well-being, but also thinking about uh, how do we prevent this? How do we uh, if we know that someone that's struggling with substance use disorder, um, that that if they have children, they may touch the child welfare system. Couldn't we do something on the front end uh, before that happened? And uh, so then I, I did my fellowship in child abuse pediatrics, and I spent 15 years in a really unique setting. Um, it was it was a medical based within a child welfare facility. So much like a child advocacy center, but this was a really interesting model in Denver. And, you know, we had a really interesting structure where um, law enforcement, uh, child welfare agency, and the hospital system um, for a pretty large area were were all the, were one, right? So we didn't have multiple different law enforcement jurisdictions, multiple different um, counties. um, and, And it really gave me a front row view of, the places where I could see that our healthcare system could be a better partner um, and be and share some responsibility um, because things that we were doing, particularly when you think about public health, which is sort of more population-based health, thinking about the kinds of things that we do in public health, um, preventing uh, diseases, right? Preventing circumstances that place people for long-term health ramifications, um, understanding what we know about adverse childhood experiences and the risk for health, long-term health impact of uh, when kids uh, experience abuse or neglect as a child um, for the rest of their life, they may have impacts. So it just it's it, so that was one thing, knowing that, knowing that great data around Aces, uh, but then also seeing the places where we in healthcare um, knew how to engage uh, in, in a trusted relationship with a family where there might be something that I recommend that I might have, there may be a caseworker that's just down the hall that recommends the very same thing. And often a family m- may engage um, may feel more a trusting relationship with the healthcare provider than child welfare. And, uh, you know, I saw the pain in our child welfare system when they experienced this because I knew they wanted to do things to help support families and hold them up and lift them up and and make places safe for children um, and uh, and not be involved if they could help it. But yet uh, oftentimes it it was met with um, much more resistance when recommendations came that way. So it became clear to me that the more we could partner, the more we could partner in gathering important information and in discerning complex health information, but also in um, suggesting uh, early interventions and resources that may be healthcare related, maybe maybe connecting someone in a warm connection to resources, right? We do this in medicine, you know, in a, in, a, in a pediatric clinic, if I know a family struggling with food insecurity, I'm gonna make a referral to a program to help them with that that family might receive that referral a little differently when it comes from a healthcare person. So we uh, we instituted a couple of things, right? So screening for kids that were needing placement or at risk of placement, medical screening, and then often we would hear other needs. The family that might be there because of an investigation would be pretty angry. Um, we sat and talked about their frustration about toileting issues or their frustration about a developmental challenge or um, things that we are pretty used to dealing with. Um, Then And secondly, we started a nurse home visiting program, a family wellness program that would be a nurse, a public health based nurse that would engage with a family that was referred that may not even meet criteria for an investigation, but everybody was pretty worried about. So um, I just think there's a lot of ways that we could partner. And, And I think it's so ironic that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, a public health crisis. And yet we're having these opportunities to think creatively and differently about the work we do and our shared goals, um, which are healthy and happy families and safe kids.
1: I'm curious to go deeper into that public health approach, which really, and you mentioned, it's multiple disciplines coming coming together. And and it's a great example of, of that partnership where it's healthcare, it's even law enforcement, it's child welfare, but it all comes together to really work, as you mentioned, work upstream. When you do have you know, all of those disciplines at, well, I guess it would be at the virtual table now, um, what should child welfare agencies be prepared to bring? How would they, how are they best positioned to contribute to kind of that multiple disciplinary approach? Because it's not just what, you know, public health is not just child welfare, but a a positive public health approach would affect, you know, multiple areas, including child welfare. So when you've got those disciplines coming together, what should child welfare view as their ability to contribute?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because, I, you know, I think
2: one of our challenges, right, is that um, particularly child welfare tends to be a system that um, may move between times when there is a high profile, uh, difficult situation and suddenly um, someone's lost their job and it, it's a very sensationalized situation all the way to moving towards a more supportive approach and, and things tend to move back and forth. And And I think to be really thoughtful about how this is done in terms of there's only so many resources. um, And I would be the first to advocate for more resources to support the work of child welfare because we can't ask more and more and more when there isn't enough resources. Um, And when you already have systems in place like public health, that is taking population health approach to how we address um, the needs of individuals that is, Healthcare, in some sense, but that is, uh, that's a larger umbrella, right? That's um, food insecurity, that's safety, that's permit, you know, that's uh, roof over your head, that's um, poverty, you know, issues related that, that that can stem from poverty. When that's already happening, um, one of the things that I think child welfare brings that healthcare systems can't always address is safety. And that question of, you know, so if you look at the data, you know, five kids dying, Every day of abuse and neglect, and yet that number hasn't changed a lot. We have made inroads in physical abuse and sexual abuse, and then we have a large group that's neglect, right? And so, how do we start to think about um, not a one-size-fits-all model, um, but bringing data, bringing a scientific and epidemiologic approach to the work that we collectively do, so that you know when when a, when a person is referred to a public health clinic for a problem, there's a lot of surveillance that happens, right? So that problem is addressed, there's a treatment, there's an intervention put in place, and then we surveil it and we see what happens in the long term. And I think the more we continue to uh, um, explore those opportunities, which are happening and there's you know more and more conversations, uh, I think we'll have a real ability to understand what interventions work, what does work mean, what does that mean in terms of outcomes? Um, And how do we put limited resources into the things that we tend to know work better? So we talk about evidence-based, but part of that is just surveilling and understanding the intervention and looking at long-term impact. So I think bringing that lens and making sure that we are um, thinking that way requires trust, um, sharing information, which is, you know, healthcare system is a great example, right? I mean, uh, I think people in child welfare probably have heard, oh, I can't share that as HIPAA. Um, a lot, right? Are pretty used to hearing that, right? And yet, until we can get to a place where we can really share in a meaningful way that protects confidentiality and mean, protects that privacy, that is really critical. Um, I think that that will be some opportunities to really understand cross-sectional impacts. Um, and I think one of the things that child welfare will be, you know, bringing is saying, "All right, wh- where are things best suited in partnership relationship?" in that more public health lens, and we don't have to take that burden. And then what things really should child welfare um, be um, more um, uh, engaged in, particularly around things like safety. So I think it's the partnership. I think it's the trusted sharing relationship uh, that I think is really critical uh, to be able to say limited resources, one agency can't do everything, Um, how do we, Lean into our partners that do parts of that well, uh, and and share the the burden a little
1: bit. Yeah, and you you brought up data, which is something that, that child welfare is collecting a lot of, and in, and uses to help you know justify change or positive in, interventions that work versus interventions that may need a little bit more study. And one of the things is as we go back to this overarching theme of what did child welfare learn from from twenty twenty, the data also backs up this overarching need. For a more just and a more equitable child welfare system and 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 some of your stories of a family listening, maybe taking the advice of a doctor or a clinician over something from child welfare points to how the system may be viewed from the families that that the system is intended to serve. So switching this overarching um, approach to, maybe less reactive and more proactive working upstream to become a little bit more equitable more just working to bring families together more supportive as you mentioned of families is is another approach in terms of this you know an an upstream a public health approach of ideally not being there you know when when the police would be called but ideally being there you know days months weeks earlier to provide the support so that incident or 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 call never needs to happen and i'm curious cuz now i'm going to ask you to to maybe take the child welfare hat off and put the medical hat back on of that overarching change to a more equitable and and socially just system how does that impact a family? How does it impact a, a child or a parent in terms of those social determinants of health for a family that we know can, can you know, reduce the impacts down the road? I'm just curious, for when the change needs to be made in an agency and they have to go up to leadership, is there a case to be made that this is just plain healthier?
2: Uh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think, you know, we know that in medicine, right? we and we've had to take a hard look at, in healthcare too, about those disparities that honestly still in some ways occur. And so we know that when uh, families or, or kids can have access to the kinds of resources, the basic kinds of resources that they need, their health will be better in the long term and their ability to learn and their ability to grow and their ability to be a um, uh, contributing part of society um, is critically, you know, tied to those things, and so um, you know, thinking about uh, what kinds of things can be put in place to help them be successful in those ways, so that we know uh, down the road um, they'll have less risk for healthcare impacts. Uh, you know, healthcare is an interesting system too, right? Because uh, you know, people have called it healthcare for a long time, but in many ways, a lot of folks would argue it's illness care. Uh, And that we only fairly recently started to really focus on where do we put our resources into maintaining health rather than than treating illness. And so it's a really interesting parallel of saying we can, you know, not that treating illness is not important. And of course, I would never advocate we close down the clinics that treat illness. On the other hand, the more resources we can put on the front end to prevent that illness from beginning uh, at all, um, we're, we're going to not only save money, but we're going to have uh, um, a healthier uh, society.
1: You know, you talked about, and and again, going back to the public health approach and getting the multiple disciplines together. We had talked before we we started recording, and and you had mentioned the idea of the virtual village. Um, and and as much as you talked about getting the agencies and those disciplines together to, to treat the family. I'm curious now when it comes to the, the, just the overarching information sharing, the big partnerships, where multiple, multiple disciplines within one big societal system. Could you give me a deeper sense of what goes into a virtual village, the example that you were, you were sharing with me earlier?
2: Yeah, you know, after when COVID began to happen, we really started to talk about ways that, you know, we knew we were having these individual connections kind of real time, you know, uh, connecting, as I said, our infectious disease specialist with someone from child welfare trying to get the latest information. And it occurred to us, especially since we're in a virtual space, might it be easier to bring some of those folks together? So, you know, in the conversation, how can we have someone who brings the lens of what uh, the different systems—not just healthcare, but you know the court systems' perspective, uh, family voice, um, these other perspectives—in a way that really could better inform the work that we're doing. And so, you know, we we began to s- select topics. Um, you know, one of it was, for example, um, what's really happening out there? Is child abuse increasing? Increasing? Is it hidden? Is it just you know? And uh, trying to bring the folks that were looking at those numbers and trying to understand what they meant. Uh, into a, a virtual room together to have a conversation and learn. And, you know, what was really fascinating to me is that, you know, I might be asking, let's say, you know, because it's the hat off, then whereas a medical person who's really busy and is, you know, on these calls back to back for infectious disease. And yet their ability to sort of get information to a whole other audience that really needed the information they had to share, you could see their um their sense of satisfaction and being able to be a part of that team. And so, you know, I think sometimes our systems are built where we resist that cross system collaboration, like I said, for good reasons around confidentiality. And, but I think the more we can break down those barriers, the more we realize that we have so much to share that's valuable. And, and the virtual village is one of the places to do that. We, we started out with just someone presenting some information and then opening it up Uh, to facilitate a dialogue and uh, really rich conversations came out of that. And um, a lot of it really then did start to focus on uh, equity and fairness and justice. uh, And what does that mean? And allowing people to think a little differently about the work that they are so committed to doing.
1: It's a common theme over so many different issues and and innovations and topics we, we address here. Uh, on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. And so anybody who's listened, when, when we talk about cross-system collaboration, it's a question that I often um, ask. And so I'll ask it to you from your perspective, when it comes to that collaboration and, and making sure that sticks and works and is fruitful, what, what, what are the must-haves, you know, what are the keys to success in order to, you know, not only get everybody at the table once, but to keep them at the table and make sure that those relationships bear fruit and we see positive outcomes?
2: Yeah, Um, trust. Um, I think uh, uh, um, genuine authenticity of of really getting to know one another and knowing that um, why someone's there, um, that they're there uh, because of a common goal. Um, For us, a lot of it was like, if we can all agree that our common goal is making the world a bit better place for kids and families. And and, and, um, I think that helps. Um, uh, Humility, Um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, I'm I'm a physician and and yet I have learned so much uh, from folks from all different walks of life, professionals, but also families, right, that we serve. And I think being able to to acknowledge that there's a lot we don't know, um, but uh, that we are stronger together and I think the, the last thing is um, is the sense that uh, it's not a sign of, um, we don't have to come to the table with all the answers. In fact, maybe the pandemic, um, as hard as this has been for so many people, and I do not mean in any ways to, um, to minimize that, but there have been some things I think that have come out of it um, that have been helpful. And I think one of them is that we, nobody has all the answers, right? Uh, and so that sense of humility that says we can all learn and grow from one another and um, hold each other up in that process. You know, one of the things about child abuse work that's been interesting to me is I've gotten to work with child welfare daily, law enforcement, sometimes the court system, educators often, healthcare. And what's really been interesting to me is that for many of us doing this work, it's probably not the most glamorous way I could be a doctor or a case, you know, a a social worker could be, uh, you know, do their work uh, or a a cop even. Um, But we tend to, I think, band together around this really deep-seated desire to help kids and families. And so I think maybe the last thing is giving each other some grace. And that means that there are times when uh, someone might approach something in a certain way, and it might be easy to judge what they uh, the, the reason that they're saying what they're saying or what they're believing. Uh, but if we give each other a little bit of grace and, and try to be more curious and listen and understand where they're coming from, um, I think that really creates the space that we can do some pretty incredible things together
1: based on on this approach, and and it's not just in Colorado, we're we're seeing this this shift toward the public health approach. We've been seeing for years the the focus on collaborating within your partners, be they public, private, uh, philanthropic partners, uh, within somebody's community. I'm curious from your vantage point, where the new and, and future professionals coming into the child welfare field what are the opportunities that they have now to help shift that system forward, to help move things, to help make uh, remaking the system, if you will?
2: Mm-hmm. You know I think one of the big areas is um is learning together, right? so so those places where you know when I've seen this work really well was when someone was really comfortable at you know calling me up as a physician and asking a question um and so really um laying down some of those divisions and barriers uh i think is one place i think the other place where there's opportunity is what medicine did years ago i mean it used to be if a if a if a med- medical mistake was made it wasn't something that was necessarily talked about or researched or understood it was often something that was kind of hidden um and that's changed Completely. And now in medicine, we have this whole um, approach that it doesn't matter whether you're the person keeping the floors. If what you're seeing and hearing is not right or you question it, you' you're you're allowed to question the surgeon in the room, right? And in fact, you're not just allowed, you're expected to. And when mistakes occur because we're all human, when something doesn't go the way we expect it, is rather than trying to find someone who's responsible, it's really that sense of curiosity about what we can learn and what we can do better. And so those are a couple of things that I hope will be our fields moving forward is continuing to find that sense of how can we always learn from what happened and do better rather than trying to hold someone accountable. I think that's horrible for um, sustainability in the, in the field. I, I, I don't know how someone stays in a job when they're fearful that if they make a mistake, um, it may cost them everything. Um, and... You know, I think medicine is finally getting that a little bit better, right? And, feel, and, and feeling supported that if I, you know, make them, I'm not gonna be thrown under the bus. And um, and so I think those two things, feeling more collaborative, more connected, being able to, to to reach out to our colleagues that know a lot about something that we may not know as much about uh, and feel okay to do that. Uh, and then um, be okay to be human and and to do uh, the best we can every day.
1: Well, you said it when, when everybody comes to the table. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. And when you don't have the answer, it's probably a smart thing to maybe ask around. And having those relationships, having that trust, it's, it's, almost, it's a growth mindset of I'm here to also not only help others, but I'm also here to learn. And maybe to learn to help others better, and and kind of pick up along the way, and that that shared kind of knowledge uh, management across uh, across your partners, across your field, across the disciplines, uh, kind of puts us in a position to walk in with that attitude for those new and future professionals to to kind of uh, try to make sure you're always appreciating in in value, Dr. Wells. So what? Imagine the future for me, uh, for, for child welfare over the next, especially after, you know, we're putting 2020 behind us and what we've learned. So over the next five years, even to the next decade, what does the future look like in your mind?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I see, you know, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about public health. And if you've seen, you know, public health, right, it's really evolved. and 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 now we're looking at public health also. Around disease and violence prevention um, that goes beyond the traditional things that public health started around, uh, you know, things like pandemics, right? And uh and environmental and, and those kinds of things. So I, I think for me, the more that we that that child welfare will feel comfortable sharing the burden a little bit and engaging with other systems um, because that that multidisciplinary way of saying, you know, the more we learn, the more we Uh, realize we don't know and and we're and and the more we can then reach out to other agencies so I I think the future is um, more collaborative partnerships that really uh, come to each other with a sense of curiosity and shared mission Um, uh, and I do think families and kids will be better because of it
1: for those communities that maybe aren't at that stage yet what's what's your advice on that first step for them to get there
2: have coffee together. Have a have a virtual meeting. I guess that's the today. I mean, I, I just do think it's relationship. And uh, you know, I tell I tell our trainees, our medical students, our residents, uh, if you're going to go to a small community, sit down and meet your local child welfare person. Sit down and meet, you know, some of those folks. Become a part of the community child protection team. Uh, sit on it. Volunteer your time um, because I think it's through those relationships we realize we're not all that different. And sometimes you know, a caseworker calling up a doctor feels really scary or, or calling up, you know, an administrator of school or something. And the reality is when we all sit down and get to know one another, we're, we're all not that different. Um, so I think it's just about finding ways to, to build those relationships um, in, in, a, in a way of curiosity, in a way of um, sharing um, where we would like to go together.
1: And, and as you mentioned before, learning from each other and then, you know, growing with, with each other. Uh, Dr. Kathy Wells, I, I, I couldn't thank you enough for spending your time, your, your energy, and uh, uh, just sharing your experiences and your thoughts uh, with us as, as we kind of uh, put, you know, put the clothes on 2020 and, and move forward and, and try to build off that. So thank you so much again uh, for your time with us here and, and being part of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you so
2: much for having me. And let's look forward to a brighter 2021.
1: Some more information about these shifts in service delivery that, that I want to point to you are posted on this episode's webpage. Just head on over to childwelfare.gov and search podcast. We'll link you to a page on the Children's Bureau's website with a collection of resources surrounding child welfare and COVID-19, including ensuring that critical court hearings continue Child welfare worker safety is also addressed, and applying virtual and telework tools for virtual visitation. We'll also point you to a collection of resources regarding the framework for prevention of child maltreatment, including primary, more of a universal prevention, a secondary prevention for those at higher risk, and tertiary prevention targeted toward families in which maltreatment has already occurred. You can also find all the other episodes in this series looking at what did child welfare learn from 2020. That's over at childwelfare.gov. We'll also connect you to links from the Camp Center where you can find their resource center, which has some specific sections around child welfare and COVID-19, along with virtual working and virtual learning. A reminder, though, to visit Child Welfare Information Gateway at childwelfare.gov for your informational needs surrounding laws and policies, publications and resources, training. Uh, There's data and contact information there. Or you can search the nation's largest library dedicated solely to child welfare. My thanks again to Dr. Kathy Wells from the Kemp Center for the Prevention and Treatment of Child Abuse and Neglect, along with the University of Colorado School of Medicine and Children's Hospital Colorado. Great to have her and that conversation looking at that intersection between child welfare and public health. And of course, my thanks to you for joining us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. But for now, thanks again for being a part of this community. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.